help my DTC grow. Strategies and quick wins that build up 8-figure DTC brand. How to get started with content marketing and how to do it like a pro. Pat Ahern, marketing manager at Intergrowth, joining us to talk about how his company helps businesses overtake their industry leaders through SEO-centric content marketing. Intergrowth has grown from a team of two to 50 in just six years by focusing on client results, process and hiring top talent. Pat is an expert in breaking down complex concepts like SEO and content marketing into accessible terms and in his free time he enjoys traveling, rock climbing and trying new IPAs. You will get the answers to the following questions. What advice would you offer for businesses looking to start doing content marketing that doesn't know how to get started? How could you increase retention with content marketing? How could you figure out topics for content marketing? How much time does it take to find out what is working and what is not? And how could data drive your choices? And of course, I'm here to help your DTC brand grow, so I ask all my favorite questions at the end. Books to read, mistakes to avoid, quick growth tips and tools to use. Now let's get ready! I know that the first content magazine was uh, published by John Deere, maybe in early 1900s. Yeah, it was the first one to give some content to the farmers of America and uh, maybe educate them and see how it's going to be. And uh, after that, maybe they bought some John Deere tractors. I don't know. But it was it was really interesting for me that the Furrow magazine started this content approach. So I don't know how, how these content strategies going through the centuries, but maybe the, the first thing that uh, they want to point that uh, you need to educate your customer in some, some way that they will buy your stuff which is not so easy to understand it's crazy to think that that content marketing the concept started that long ago you know yeah i I would have assumed it would have been uh you know so much closer to like the 1990s maybe even the 2000s that the first signs of content marketing would have really popped up it's uh it's funny when we look back at it now because it it seems like such an intuitive concept to say like hey rather than just stuffing ads in our customers faces whenever we can get their attention Let's instead try to create the stuff that they're actually looking for. Let's invest resources into creating that so that they actually come to us on their own accord. Huge props to John Deere for putting that together. You know, there's certainly a place for both elements in the market, but I can't believe they were that far ahead of the curve. I need to look deeper into that story and see if I could find that original magazine. Maybe it was because they have a distance. So maybe farmers couldn't just walk in to a store and buy stuff. They were in the rural areas and they need to reach them somehow. And this was their idea. That's brilliant. You have to wonder, uh, you know, the the marketing manager who came up with that idea, who, you know, I'm sure put their neck on the line a little bit saying, hey, why don't we invest all this time and money into putting together this magazine that's just going to provide educational content to the reader. You have to imagine they were a little bit on the chopping block when they came up with that idea. I'm sure the whole team was saying like, ah, Fred's idea, it's not going to work out so well, but you know, it's, it's his neck on the line. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm sticking with the horses, you know, <laughs> and not with the tractors. Maybe they, they need to convince people that uh, horse versus tractor. Oh man, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, I also read a, a book about, uh, maybe from also the 1900s, I, I read a book that uh, they are doing A-B testing with postcards. They just uh, sent, I don't know, a thousand with uh, one text, another thousand with another text and a subtitle and a title. And after that, if it's going well, then they will go with, uh, with A or with B. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy to think. You wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't picture John Deere being that far ahead of the curve, you know, no disrespect to them, but it's, I, I would just envision it being this, uh, like one of the first tech companies to come out would be the one to really be the, at the forefront of content marketing. Uh, it's so cool that, uh, that like an, such an industrial powerhouse would be the one to say like, hey, let's, you know, screw it. Let's give it a try. Let's see what happens with this. Uh, and how cool that they were finding a way even back then to look at the data and say, hey, how can we get a better sense of what's performing and what's not performing? It's incredible to hear. Yeah, it's it's not so much new under the sun, <laughs> as we should say. But I, I don't know how, how e-commerce business uh, owners could, uh, could invest in content marketing at first. If I want to start also an e-commerce store or a DTC brand, how could I be sure that uh, my first steps are going to be successful? in content marketing? In my experience, the answer will vary a little bit depending on the stage of the business. Um, you know, if you're starting from square one, let's say you just launched your e-commerce site, you know, yesterday, and you're looking to bring in your first couple sales, typically the advice I'll give is, hey, focus on paid ads from the really early stages. It's going to be a more expensive way to gain each customer in the long term, but can be a really great way to drive short-term sales, start getting proof of concept and really start building up your sales pipeline over time. You know, typically I like to say, hey, if you're investing less than maybe $5,000 a month in marketing, that's a really good place to start. Really work, work on fine-tuning your paid channels, scale those up accordingly from there. You know, let's say you get to a point though where, you know, you're a little bit more established as a brand. Um, I like to say you're reaching the point where you can invest maybe 10,000 a month or more in content market or in marketing as a whole. That's where I personally see content marketing becoming such a valuable investment. A uh, couple big reasons there without going too deep into the weeds, but uh, content marketing, SEO, time and time again, we see it's going to be a long-term investment. So if you start investing in content marketing today, creating articles on your website, I'd say go into it with the expectation that it's going to take probably three, six months before you're really going to start seeing the ROI come into play there. Uh, that being said, long-term, you're going to see significantly more ROI from that content marketing investment when done strategically than you'll likely see from paid ads. Customer cost or cost per customer is going to drastically decline as you can scale up your visibility, scale up your sales, so on and so forth. But if you're starting out as that, you know, let's say that brand that's doing, you know, maybe it's half a million to a million in annual revenue, you know, really reaching the point where you can say, hey, let's spend 10K a month on marketing, let's start experimenting with content. What we really encourage doing is focusing on four main types of content for every brand from that early stage, really focusing on these first three components. Um, so first one is what I describe as awareness content. And I would say for the business just starting out with content marketing, I'd recommend putting you know 80 plus percent of your eggs in this basket. Awareness content is going to be what you'll typically hear referred to as the SEO centric content. Those are going to oftentimes be topics driven by a keyword research platform, let's say Surfer SEO, SEM Rush, Ahrefs, whatever you prefer, all of them will give you very powerful data insights. You'll typically just see a little bit of variance in the data coming from them. Uh, but awareness content, we see the best way to drive results from that that we recommend to other businesses 
is focus on figuring out what are your customers looking for online every single month and focus on creating the best resource on the internet about those subject matters. A lot of these awareness content topics are going to be probably broader resources. If we think back to the John Deere example, that's going to be more so looking at some of the topics that customers are maybe looking for when they're trying to inform themselves about their own problems, about your industry, uh, but really haven't indicated that they're ready to make a purchase. Oftentimes, these will be like do-it-yourself centric queries. It might be queries about larger industry concepts, uh, approaches for, you know, within the DIY realm, how they can solve their own approach or how they can find uh, alternative solutions to solve their problem on their own. So I like to group that into what I refer to as the awareness content bucket. Um, awareness content is going to see the best results when the primary goal that you go into it with is driving far more visibility to your brand, uh, far more traffic to your website, so that from there, once you funnel these people to your site from these broader topics, you can A, start gaining far more visibility from search. B, you can then funnel these visitors to more valuable pages on your site. You know, let's say a product page or maybe a page that's a little bit more sales centric that talks about uh, why work with your particular brand, uh, particular features that you offer that a competitor doesn't, and much more. So group two is what I refer to as sales centric content. And I break this into two particular groups. One is what I refer to as revenue creators, and two I call revenue preservers. So sales content as a whole is really going to be focused on driving more revenue for your business. Revenue creators are more so going to be topics that will give someone a reason for why they should work with you as opposed to taking a do-it-yourself approach or working with a competitor. Oftentimes that's going to be things like case studies. It may be showcasing customer reviews on your site through a reviews page. One of my favorite approaches that I've been seeing pop up more recently is taking the approach of comparing yourself to a particular competitor. Uh, one example might be Optimunk compared to you know, this other email pop-up form and speaking to, hey, here's the things that we're better at. Here's the things our competitor is better at. So you're ultimately helping the reader and your potential customer to figure out how are you positioned differently and in what scenario are you the best solution for them to work with. And then the revenue preserver side uh, serves a similar concept in driving more revenue for the business. This is what I like to say is going to be more so focused around a lot of those uh, typical questions that existing customers may ask. These are going to be a lot of the customer support type resources, whether it's uh, for a SaaS business, how do I reset my password? For a DTC business, it may be, how do I do this particular function with your product? Um, how do I use it to provide this additional opportunity that you, I saw on your site? And much more. That ultimately helps users to see why they worked with you in the first place and give them a reason to A, come back to buy from you in the future, and B, refer your product to their other friends and family members that may also benefit from the solution. For DTC brands, retention is, is essential. I don't know, how could we approach it from the content side? How could we increase retention with content? Man, that's a great question. So yeah, it could be a thesis. <laughs> <laughs> so within the, the revenue preservers side of thing, that's what I see as one of my favorite examples of that. You know, let's say you're a, a DTC brand, just to work with a tangible example, let's say that you sell workout shoes. You know, you can assume maybe a customer buys from you and assuming they have a good experience with your product, maybe they would be ready to buy from you again, anywhere from six to 12 months down the road. What I see as the best opportunity there is to 
a focus on creating content that helps those customers to solve any sort of issues they might deal with with the product so that they can get more value out of that first purchase. Some examples may be if you see over time that there are certain types of wear and tear in your shoes that can really easily be solved or that there are workaround products that a consumer can buy to fix the problem to showcase that information and make it really easily accessible. With that athletic shoe company, let's say that uh, historically you've seen your laces start to wear out after three months. Maybe you'd have a dedicated support article on the website that when someone actually buys from you in the first place, you actually send them a triggered email three months down the road that says, hey, how are your laces holding up? Uh, if they're falling apart, A, you can buy them directly from us right here at this discounted price so you can extend the life of these shoes. Two, if you'd prefer, here's a really great do-it-yourself approach that you can take to double the lifespan of these laces. Um, three might be, hey, here's a couple of more affordable options you can work with. Product quality is going to be lower, but maybe these laces only cost half as much as ours do. And they could be a great way to you know, increase the lifespan of your shoes by a couple more months here. So I see it as a huge opportunity to, as you learn more and more about your product, your customers, the pain points they're dealing with, to showcase what are some of these additional resources that can help them to extend the life of the product? What are some resources that can help them to ultimately get more value out of their initial purchase? And use email marketing to trigger those messages at the time that you think is best suited to share with them. How could I figure out these topics? I would say creating a systemized approach to collect customer reviews. So one perfect way to approach this might be to send out an anon or send out a survey to customers, you know, maybe right after they buy your product, maybe you send another survey six months later to try and collect feedback from them. Uh, ideally behind the scenes, so you can collect some of this feedback, see some of the opportunities for improvement in your product, and then figure out how you can solve some of those problems, either through content that you can better showcase on the site. Um, it could be through taking a look at your product itself and seeing how you could improve it. Second huge opportunity is going to be looking at any sort of public reviews that people are posting online. So if you take your business name and you type that in plus the word reviews, there's a pretty high likelihood as your brand grows that you're going to see more and more people giving hopefully unbiased reviews about your product. Certainly some of it will probably be affiliate driven where it's going to be businesses that are getting incentivized by a commission structure to promote your product. But ideally, you'll see some anonymous third-party reviews. You'll be able to read those reviews and see what these people are saying. If you sell on, let's say, a secondary platform like Amazon on top of having your own website, you can also look on Amazon and see, hey, what are the lowest reviews that we're seeing pop up on our site? Are there any sort of trends in those reviews that are coming up? And if so, how can we better capitalize on those reviews? And this takes it a degree further and a degree removed. But one of my favorite things to do in product development is if you're selling a physical product, take a look at Amazon and take a look at some of your biggest competitors and see what is the both the biggest positive feedback that's being shared about those competitors, but also what's the biggest negative feedback. Because if we can identify what is the biggest hole within those competitors that we're working in, we can then start to say, okay, how can we showcase our brand differently? Or how can we tweak our product to avoid dealing with those exact same issues they are, whether it's shipping concerns, product longevity concerns, you name it. Any of those opportunities can, while it's often going to start out as very exploratory, can lead to some very powerful insights on how you can actually improve your product.
And if I start the DTC brand from zero, more accurately, I have to invest a lot and it could be a negative at first, but uh, should I write and uh, create one piece of content or it should be the best or I would try to test these uh, many different things as I could? How much time does it take to find out what is working and what is not? Uh, how could the data drive my choices? So time and time again, we see this trend. I refer to it as Google's sandbox. So if we're just looking at the search engine Google, which has, last time I checked, it was like 85% market share. So for simplicity, we can oftentimes say, hey, if we're writing content for search, we can really focus around Google knowing that's going to get us 85% of the way there. But one of the trends that we've seen over the years is when launching a brand new site, typically there's a time period ranging from, I've seen as little as two months, I've seen as long as like six to eight months, where when you launch that brand new website, it is really difficult to get any content that you put out to rank in search for any themes of value. Uh, I refer to it as Google Sandbox. My theory behind it is that Google wants to get a little bit of validation that you're here to stay for the long term before they start serving you up in search results for relevant queries. So if you're starting out from square one, I would say focus 10, 20% of your efforts into writing content for your own site, knowing that there's going to be very minimal return until you can build up a little bit of longevity for your brand, but continuing to gradually look at the metrics over time. I'd say just look for more so snapshots to see, are we starting to gain some organic traffic? If you're a bit more established of a brand, what I would really encourage doing is you'll see those results come in much faster. So the approach that I recommend time and time again is focus less on quantity of content, focus more on quality of content. Uh, time and time again, we see that the most in-depth resources tend to rank the best in search results. There are a lot of exceptions where maybe you can get away with writing a 50-word definition for a certain search theme and have the best result for a reader. In most cases, though, we're seeing that a lot of these in-depth themes require very in-depth, very nuanced answers. So I'd say focus on writing a small handful of resources for your site, focus on making them the best resources on the internet, and then shift all of your emphasis from there to the promotional side of things until you start building more and more traction for your brand and can start investing much more heavily in the content creation side of things. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask the, the next, that uh, content distribution is a big part of, uh, of a successful content. Where to start? Uh, I would just post it on my blog and waiting for the miracle happening or post it everywhere on social media or get some backlinks how to reach my audience absolutely and i, I want to hear your perspective on this as well because coming at it from an agency approach i would say my my answer will be a little bit more biased in that unless we're trying to promote our own brand we've really struggled with the community engagement side of things i think that community engagement is such a powerful way and we've seen it for our own brand i should emphasize i think it was the first maybe two of the first three customers that our agency brought on board, we actually found from Slack and Facebook communities. And that all came from interacting with the community, offering valuable insights, and then having some of those businesses reach out to us afterwards and say, hey, we'd love to hear more about this you know, little tidbit that you shared with us. Can we hop on a call? And ended up driving to uh, one client that we worked with, I think for about three years, the other client got acquired about nine months in. So, you know, Really big win for them. I would have loved if we could have worked with, with Chris and his team longer, but 
you know, you can't argue with uh, with an acquisition coming into play. Uh, but from our team, you know, we're we'll certainly be a little bit more biased. I would say when we're working with clients, what we really push for is link building for this content to get it starting to rank in search results much faster, to expedite ranking timelines and ultimately drive way more visibility that way. Um, if you're an in-house marketer, you know, working for one particular brand, I would really strongly advocate for testing out a few different communities, seeing which communities are your users most likely hanging out in, and try to really just become a great source of information about topic matters that you're an expert in. Um, that could be that it's in Twitter. It could be that it's in Slack. I would say definitely experiment and see what you can find. With Slack in particular, because we've had the most success there, one little tidbit I would really recommend, Slack has this phenomenal feature in, uh, I think it's in the preferences section, where you can actually set notifications for yourself to get a notification when people use certain keywords that you want to see. So if I were to look in Slack right now, uh, what I would see for the communities that I'm in is I get a notification if someone mentions my name, if they mention Intergrowth, if they mention our former company name before we rebranded, Junto, uh, or similarly, if they mention phrases like SEO, content marketing, link building, content strategy, and much more. Beyond that, I have a few additional triggers for maybe topics that aren't quite as relevant for our business, but are just areas that I can provide insights in, whether it's hiring, whether it is entrepreneurship, whether it's building an MVP, you name it. Uh, but I've found phenomenal success by finding a couple of those communities, starting to dip your toe in the water with providing valuable insights in those communities. One of the challenges in some of those communities is moderators can be very quick to eliminate your content if you share any sort of links in it. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of that, but I understand that it's the type of thing where if you're moderating a community, there's probably a ton of junk posts that you have to get through and seeing a link going out to another website is a really easy litmus test to look at and say, hey, it's spam. Um, what's been really helpful for me is finding questions that I can provide insights on, giving, I would say like a very short answer, typically maybe just one, maybe a couple of sentences. And then if I've written a more in-depth resource, I'll say, hey, I've written about this way more in-depth here, or a member of our team has written about this way more in-depth here. I'll check it out if you want more context or shoot me a DM and I'd be happy to talk about it more. From a client point of view, because I'm, I'm a marketer also, but from a client point of view, I was so upset that uh, I want to find something on Google, like comparing two products or, or making some uh, products to search. But it was all ads, like not paid ads, but all the other articles on the first page was ads and making me nervous that, okay, I wanted to find a product or a solution, but I couldn't find because those were so much spammy, pushy, or it was on, on first sight. I could see that they are made by a really good SEO expert <laughs> just to be on the first page of Google search. As a DTC brand owner, how could I be on the first page of Google searches, but don't be so spammy or pushy with my content? So I, I don't know how, how these are meant to be there, but uh, I could see that there were some SEO guy hands in it. I'll, I'll apologize on behalf of the whole <laughs> SEO community for that one. Um, no, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. There are a lot of cases where we may see a really great sales-centric topic and we'll look at it and 
We'll look at what currently ranks. And oftentimes you can skim through those results and see like, ah, oh, this wasn't really written by a product expert. Huge props to the businesses who can rank for that. It's, it's really impressive when you can rank for it without that extreme level of product expertise. The approach that I'll typically recommend there, and I guess I would also say that we'll roll out for clients as well, is A, we'll start by identifying how feasible is it to rank for those different themes. I personally love to use one SEO tool called Ahrefs for that. Um, it's a phenomenal tool that can give you some really great insights into how feasible will it be to rank for this theme in terms of they use this keyword difficulty score tool. At a broader level, if you want to avoid the paid tool, oftentimes you can rely on your gut in my experience to see who are these brands that are ranking for these types of high converting themes. Realistically, if you're going up against, let's say like an Amazon page, it's probably going to be really challenging to outrank Amazon. They're going to have a, a wide variety of products. In many cases, they may have tens of thousands of user reviews. It's probably going to be really challenging for you to outrank them for that theme. Now, if you don't see that and you see it's a lot of you know, call it like smaller blogs that maybe don't have quite as much visibility, maybe the pages aren't as in depth, oftentimes you can rely on your gut and say, hey, this could be a really good theme for us to try to rank for. Um, but either way, two approaches that I recommend within that. One is going back to the comparison type content. I'd say do your best to work with your team to put together an objective overview on how are you better than your biggest competitors, but also how are your biggest competitors better than you? Uh, more of taking the approach of, hey, in what specific scenario is someone best suited to work with us? as opposed to in what other scenario is someone really poorly suited to work with us and they're probably not going to have the best customer experience. If you can showcase that information in a very objective manner or the most objective manner possible, that can actually provide a very valuable insight for consumers to actually look for. More importantly though, um, and I've written about this in the past, one of the opportunities that I see for a lot of DTC brands is not necessarily putting all of your eggs in the basket of, hey, let's identify what our customer pain points are. Let's focus all of our efforts on ranking for those specific pain points. Um, I'll be the first to say, if you can rank for those themes, you're probably going to see a significant number of sales coming through them. In my experience, oftentimes it'll be a very heavy investment that goes into putting together the content, building the links, building the other visibility to get that page to start ranking. Whereas there can actually be some even better backdoors in my experience. What I find to be most helpful for so many brands is if you can identify what are some of the themes that people are looking for before they're ready to actually make that purchase. A lot of that is going to be them trying to research what are some alternative solutions to their pain point? What are some of the pros and cons of using a particular solution as opposed to another particular solution? Oftentimes you can find those themes will be much more feasible to rank for. You can start by writing those resources, become the trusted brand that customers look towards in order to find out information about that specific pain point. And then as they're reading those resources, you can use a tool like Optimunk to collect their email and ultimately start marketing to them over time so that maybe they need another month before they're ready to buy from you. And that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with them not being ready to pull out their credit card today. But if you can then get their email address way before they're ready, set up an email workflow that goes out to them over the next month. And then maybe you say, hey, I'm going to send them a discount code after two months, because that's beyond the typical timeline that it takes for someone to buy from us once they subscribe, then you can likely win that customer. But even in the moment, what you can also do 
is in that educational article, you can also allow them to leapfrog through that. And maybe at the bottom of the article, you say, hey, if you're looking to find a way to actually solve this problem today, here's this in-depth review that we did where we actually compared ourselves to the three biggest brands that offer the same solution. Here, you know, read this article, you can see which one is going to be best for you and can actually poach a bunch of those sales as those consumers are ready to buy from you. Should I drive all my readers to my products or my blog or my website with uh, certain types of content? Or are there any ways to get CRO from, from content? A lot of that, I like to look at each individual piece of content and try to identify what is the most feasible action step that someone is going to take that's going to help my business to push them one stage further. In some cases, it may be just sending them directly to a product page on your website. In my experience, what can also be really helpful is finding a way to get them to subscribe to your email newsletter by offering them some additional piece of information that they're going to get. I would say like baiting them to take that next step. I love using the example of if you're trying to if you're trying to win over a customer, it's not always in your best interest to propose to them on that first date. Um, usually it's better if you can say, hey, let's start out by going on a second date together or let me buy you dinner. And then from there, you can earn a little bit more and more of their trust. And you're not asking them to pull out their credit card in that exact moment. You're not telling them, hey, buy this product today. Instead, you're saying, hey, why don't you let us keep you in the loop and we can share more insights to help you solve your problems and help you figure out if this product is right for you. Uh, so more concise answer, I'd say, look at the individual piece of content. I think it's always great to sprinkle in links to your product pages, A, for search benefit that will come out of it, but B, for those people reading your article that are ready to buy today. Oftentimes, especially with broader content resources, though, I'd say make the big call to action B for them to take some micro step. Again, whether it's working with Optimunk or any other email subscription platform, um, I'd really encourage testing out how can we get those email addresses so that we can, once we get them on our site, we're getting a much higher percentage of them to subscribe to our email list and then we can sell to them in the long term. Should I post uh, content before I have a product ready? So before getting my vendors together, but I know really good that what product I want to be or what problem should I solve? I would say assuming that you validated the market and you are one, you're gung-ho, you're sold on the idea that we're going to move forward with this product. I love investing some resources before the product's ready into content creation revolved around the pain points of that particular product. Reason I say that is, let's say you post, let's say we're going back to the athletic shoes. You come up with this innovative new type of athletic shoe. It manages to provide better cushioning for your feet so that you know, if you're running, let's say 10 kilometers, you experience far less joint aches after you're running. That might be a really unique solution in the market. And if you can start today by saying, hey, why don't we write about how this is a problem? Why don't we write about some alternative solutions that people can experiment with before they pull out their credit card? Uh, maybe that's something as simple as, hey, you know, stuff a couple paper towels in your shoe. Probably not going to work great, but maybe it reduces the, uh, the pain and the aches by 10%. Um, and then for those people that have really extreme pains, you've now attracted their attention. You can say to them, hey, great news. If you want a 
proven solution. We're actually rolling out a brand new product. Get on our wait list and we'll let you know as soon as it's ready for you. Oh, by the way, we're going to give a 20% discount to the first 100 people that buy from us. Sign up for our email list and we'll send you that unique link so that you can get your product at a reduced price from there. And then from there, not only does that validation come into play from a secondary degree, but you also then have all of these early stage people who have expressed interest and said, hey, I really want to buy this product and indicated this is a big pain point. I'm willing to wait in line for a couple of months so that I can actually give you money to try and solve this problem from here. If you are an existing DTC brand and you have content and you are doing almost great, how could you improve? How could you not overcomplicate it? How could you segment segment it? What could be the best segments to target? On the content side of things, one of, one of my favorite opportunities to look into is starting by analyzing the competitive landscape. I would say in particular, if there are other DTC brands that are offering similar products, or even more broadly, that might be, maybe it would be other blogs that are offering alternate solutions. Uh, what I love to do is I love to audit those sites and see where are they currently getting organic traffic today. Again, if you invest in one of those SEO tools, whether it's SEMrush, Arefs, or any of the other tools out there, they'll all provide you phenomenal insights. What you can do is you can start out by saying, where are these sites getting traffic today? Um, I'd encourage starting out with your direct competitors. And then from there, if you want even more ideation, one of my favorite tactics is type the phrase best insert industry blogs into Google search results. In the overwhelming majority of cases, you may need to tweak the results slightly, but you'll see time and time again, a list of the, call it the 20 best insert industry blogs of 2022, uh, the 15 best insert industry blogs of 2023, so on and so forth. Take a look at those blogs, see where are they getting traffic to their site today from search engines like Google, and ultimately look at each of those pages and say, hey, would it be feasible for us to create a more informative resource than what this business has put together? I would start by adding those topics to your pipeline in order to drive far more traffic to your website. Beyond that, though, I would also say, and you know, assuming you're using Google Analytics or let's say any other analytics tool, you should be able to see these insights. I would encourage doing a deep dive in there. Maybe look at your content visibility for, let's say, the past three months, past six months. Uh, the longer the time horizon, the better. What I love to do is I love to expand that time horizon and start by identifying, A, what channels are driving the most sales to our business today? Is it uh, traffic from search engines? Is it paid search traffic? Is it referral traffic? And if so, what website in particular is sending us the most traffic and the most sales? Um, and then I also like to take a secondary deep dive to say what individual pages on the site are driving the most revenue for our business. Assuming the goal is to drive more revenue, oftentimes what you'll see is some of those pages that are going to be what I call those sales-centric content pieces are going to have a really high conversion rate, but typically are going to drive much lower levels of traffic. Um, it can be a little bit dif more difficult to get people to those particular pages. But I like to start out by identifying what are some of those top performing pages and what sort of themes can you identify about these pages that are driving far more sales for your business. Let's say, for example, I'm totally wrong and you find that there's this one piece of content on your site that drives uh, 10,000 visitors every month. It has a 2% conversion rate. Break that page down. Identify what worked so well with that page and how can you create a page similar to that, maybe across other business units on your website, especially if you have, let's say, a couple different general solutions that you solve in particular. Uh, but going back to the channel breakdown, this is also a phenomenal opportunity to look in there and see 
okay, how much revenue is coming from these main channels? Is it a case where you know, you're investing 20,000 a month in paid search traffic and most of those channels are generating a loss, but you see that uh, let's say Quora ads hypothetically is generating massive ROI for you? That's great. Dump way more resources into Quora ads, triple your budget there and start getting way more of those sales coming in. So I like to take that general two-pronged approach. I know that's extremely vague, but what I typically recommend varies so much depending on the individual business and what insights those share. But stepping back, I'd say start by figuring out what channels are driving the most revenue for you. Double down on those channels that are driving more revenue, um, especially relative to costs. And then from there, figure out what are those pages that A, are driving the most traffic and B, are driving the most sales and figure out how you can duplicate the efforts of some of those top performing pages, largely by looking at the competitive landscape or similarly using really oftentimes just creative thinking to say, okay, we solve three main problems. This one article we wrote focused on solving problem A is our biggest sales driver. Why don't we write an article that talks specifically about how to solve problem B and how our product can specifically solve that issue? Yeah, I really like the idea that uh, duplicate uh, the best performing article and do it in another way. Wow, that's a really good idea. And for last but not least, I want to give seeds and nutrition for DTC brands. So I will ask four quick questions from all of the guests. Let's dive in. What books, blogs to read or people to follow would you recommend for a DTC brand? A lot of that answer I would say will vary depending on the stage of the business. Across the board, one of my favorite books to maybe I'll say my favorite HR centric books, my favorite hiring related book is The Ideal Team Player. Um, And I feel terrible. The name of the author of several of these books always escapes me. But The Ideal Team Player has fully informed our hiring process. It ultimately speaks to the three core concepts that this author recommends looking for in any hire that you bring onto your team. Um, Would highly recommend that for anyone going through the hiring phase, especially people who are A, looking to validate that they're finding the right people, and B, businesses that are looking to hire people at scale. Second book I would recommend is Radical Candor. It is a phenomenal management book that has drastically shifted the way that I approach management with our team. I would say I am not a very confrontational person by nature. And that book has, I would say, helped me to be much more comfortable with being confrontational with our team when I think that they drop the ball on something. Or similarly, if I drop the ball on something and want to share that honestly with them. A Let's see, what other books come to mind though? In terms of, let's say more of e-commerce centric resources, in terms of, uh, I guess I'll, I'll give the, the Optimunk plug here. You guys do a phenomenal job in terms of content that comes on your site, especially in terms of retention content. Um, I'll, I'll also give the, the shameless plug for our own site. Definitely check out Intergrowth um, if you would like some resources about how to drive more sales from content marketing. Specifically, we have what we refer to as our content marketing plan playbook, I would say more so designed for early stage businesses, maybe businesses doing call it less than 100k in annual revenue from e commerce, really designed that content marketing playbook to be the step by step guide that business owners can take to implement the exact things that we do for clients on your own. So that as long as you have the time to invest in these initiatives, you ultimately have the guide that's going to walk you through exactly how to do that. Um, Trying to think of some other really phenomenal resources that I follow. From more so the SEO side of things, um, Traffic Think Tank is one of my favorite resources for 
search centric content as a whole, very focused around industry updates that are going on typically from a more granular SEO side of things. But if that's an area that you're interested in, they do a phenomenal job with that. Uh, another channel, I would say that as a whole, I am very envious of their content is going to be the AREFs team. Uh, both in terms of their newsletter and the blog content you will find on their site, they invest a ton of resources into creating really insightful content. Um, I'm envious because we're we're competing with them directly on a lot of those big themes that we want to rank for, and they uh, they do a phenomenal job. I, I would love to uh, would love to to have the resources that they invest into content, but great great platform to check out. Nice. Uh, second question would be, what is the biggest mistake that DTC brands could make? The biggest mistake I'll often see DTC brands making, I, I'll speak specifically to the content marketing side of things. No, you know what, actually, I'll, I'll broaden the answer. I think this will be more valuable this way. I would say one of the biggest mistakes I see DTC brands making is investing in content marketing a little bit too early in the process or investing in the wrong type of content marketing. And to elaborate on that just slightly, for a brand new DTC brand that you know, maybe you're spending a couple thousand dollars a month on marketing. In most cases, I don't recommend investing in SEO content marketing. Uh, most scenarios, you'll see a better ROI if you focus really primarily on the paid ad side of things first. It could be a great way to get those initial sales. You'll see those sales come in overnight. Time and time again, we see that paid ads can be a really great ROI generator, but you'll see better return in the long term from investing in content marketing. So typical advice I'll give to DTC brands is don't invest a ton of resources into content. I'd say no more than 10 to 20% of your marketing budget until you really start seeing the, that ROI come in through content. And over time, it's going to become a no-brainer for you to triple down on content and likely reduce your paid ad spend over time. Um, second grouping, though, within that answer is focusing on the wrong types of content. We see a lot of DTC brands that put out some really great resources, but maybe don't take the most strategic approach with what is the goal behind each of those content pieces. I would really advocate for identifying a singular goal with each piece of content that you create, whether it is drive more visibility for your brand uh, drive more sales from existing people who are coming to the website, uh, brand us as a thought leader in the space that others in our industry are really going to be interested in reading about and more likely to share with their audience, or four is going to be what I would refer to as culture content. Those are going to be more so the resources that might be uh, interviews with members of your team, company updates about, let's say, volunteer opportunities that you and your team work on that will be more so focused around better showcasing your company culture, giving people a better incentive to apply to work at your company. My third question would be, could you tell me your quick growth tip related to content or SEO? Start by auditing your competitors' blogs. Identify a few themes that have a strong search volume behind them for the overarching concept, whether that comes in the form of one keyword that their article ranks for, sees a lot of traffic and has a massive visibility, or it could be that the competitor's blog maybe has 50 different keywords that all get a decent search volume, but collectively drive a lot of traffic to the page. Uh, identify, I would say, start out with like three to five of those resources. Map out which of those resources can you, from a more objective standpoint, create 
a better resource than your competitor about. Focus on writing those resources and then promote those resources, I would say ideally until you get 500 readers to each of those articles. Ideally 1,000 readers, but that'll vary with some industries. Uh, that could come in the form of link building. It could come in the form of promoting it across different communities that you're in. But I'd say really focus on those first couple of articles. Focus on driving way more visibility to those articles. And then from there, move on to the next set of articles. Um, you'll see exponential growth come in time and time again from that approach. Typically, as a few of those articles start ranking at the top of search results, start driving more visibility to your brand. And then from those articles, you can funnel people to more valuable pages on your site, as we were talking about before, whether it is through a features page on your website, whether it's sending them directly to a product page, or whether it's getting them to subscribe to your newsletter and then selling to them gradually down the road. You've already mentioned Ahref as a tool to use for DTC brands for SEO. What tools would you recommend? more for growth. Arefs and SEMrush are my two SEO recommendations. I tend to use Arefs a little more these days, but both those tools are phenomenal in terms of tracking search themes that you rank for, auditing your competitors from a search perspective, um, identifying new opportunities to write about, and monitoring who's linking to you over time. A few of my other favorite tools to work with, uh, Grammarly to me is a no-brainer. It has saved me from looking like an idiot more times than I can count in terms of catching typos in my emails and articles that I've written and provides a really good quick check on any article you push out before you push it live to make sure there are no glaring typos in there. Um, I'm certainly going to give a plug for Optimunk as well because you guys do phenomenal work. Um, I would say anyone listening who has not signed up for Optimunk, definitely do so today. Um, start adding those forms to your site so that you can start collecting some of those email subscribers. Uh, beyond that, you know, in terms of, I would say, email marketing, there are so many phenomenal tools that are out there. Our team is currently using ActiveCampaign, which behind the scenes, I find it to be a little bit janky, but I love the platform outside of that. I would say the onboarding process has been a little bit slower with that platform than MailChimp, which is what we used to use. Uh, but any tool that's going to allow you to send automated workflows and build those out over time for DTC is going to be invaluable. Um, I would also say definitely invest the resources into bringing an email marketing specialist on board who can help you to audit some of those workflows that maybe you have today um, or otherwise can help you to build out workflows from scratch. Um, in terms of other tools, I would say building out some form of customer support feedback can be a really great uh, way to start collecting feedback, figure out how do you want to improve your product and also what maybe glaring holes are there in your product that maybe threaten your business that you should look deeper into. Uh, Canny.io, I've heard great things about. I haven't personally used it at this point, but phenomenal tool from everything I've heard that you can work with to get feedback on your product, get specific features that customers are requesting with an upvote system coming into play as well. I'm trying to think in terms of other resources, I like to, I mean, I'm very process driven. So our team has documented the process for every single thing that our agency does. Um, and we use that as really our backbone for services. So for that, we have a very straightforward approach. We just keep all that in Google Docs. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that approach. Uh, one of the upgrades we made over the past year is documenting all of that in more of a knowledge hub that makes it more easily accessible to everyone on the team. Uh, we're using Notion for that right now, and I love the platform. I would say I'm probably using 10% of it at this point, but there are some incredible insights in there. Let me throw that same question back over to you, though. What other tools am I missing out on? What else would you recommend? Nice. I, I would recommend Triple Veil. Triple Veil is a good analytic tool. Not to over exaggerate uh, maybe Facebook, Google, or Shopify analytics. It, it is uh, meshing all together all of these three or more analytics so you could see all your product-related data in one place. So triple wheel would be great, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to need to look that up. Yeah, for for e-commerce brands, triple wheel is the one source of single truth maybe <laughs> yeah all, all of our other guests recommended it so that's why i i knew about it well great recommendation i'm excited to check it out yeah yeah it is it is and pat thanks for accepting our call and uh, where could our listeners find you my pleasure miklos thank you for having me on let's see so best place to find us so i'd say definitely check out our site um if you just type in intergrowth.co i-n-t-e-r uh G-R-O-W-T-H dot C-O, uh, you'll land on our site. I would say follow us on Twitter, underscore intergrowth, underscore. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Pat Ahern, uh, followed by the number one. And yeah, I would say feel free to reach out to me directly with questions. Uh, my email is pat at intergrowth.co. Um, always love hearing from listeners and see ultimately what questions can I answer for you. All of it helps me to give way better feedback in the future. So please don't be a stranger. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Beth. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And don't forget to try these tips today. For more seeds and nutrition, stay tuned for the next episode.